Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul told us about the faith of Abraham. He explained to us that Abraham was righteous. He was righteous before God because he believed God. Not because of what he did and not because of what he did not do, but he was righteous because God spoke to him. He told him something, and Abraham believed him. He believed him, he trusted in him, and his life was a reflection of that belief. His life was a life that expressed that trust. The way that he made his decisions in his life after that were a reflection of the fact that he believed God. Now, I explained earlier that this was extremely important. It was very important because the reason why Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden was because they did not believe God. They believed the devil. The devil said, you will not die. But God said that they would. And so it was their unbelief, their unbelief in God, that resulted in the fall of humanity. But it was the belief of Abraham that we can now look at today. We can see his testimony. He is a witness who shows us that if we will just believe God, if we will believe him, then we can be righteous just as Abraham was righteous. And to be righteous means that we are right with God that we have a relationship with him. Now, what that relationship means, of course, is different for different people because people mature in different ways in terms of their relationship with him. They grow in different ways. People believe some things that he has said, but they don't believe all the things that he has said. And so there is a significant amount of variation when we talk about this notion of relationship. And so I'm not going to get into that right now. Instead, what I would really like to focus on in this program is the importance of belief. But more specifically, what I would like to address is the question of what do we believe? I mean, what do we really believe? If I go out into the world and I talk with a number of people, I can ask them a question like, do you believe that there's a God? And certainly, there will be a lot of people who say, no, I just don't believe that there's a God. But I will encounter many other people who will say, absolutely, I really do believe that there is a God. But of what value is that, really? Because the God that I believe in might not be the same God that they believe in. We're using the same word, but the definition of that word may mean two totally different things. It might mean one thing to me, and then it means another thing to someone else. And so we have to get down to some specifics when it comes to this notion of belief. To just say that if you believe God, then you are righteous, well, that is not entirely correct because you have got to deal with the issues concerning what do you believe about your God. 
What do you believe about what he has said? Because there are many things that people believe about God that are simply not true. At least the God who I believe in. And so we have to deal with this. And I'm going to deal with this in this program. That we have got to deal with some specifics. We really do. We cannot just live in generalities all our lives with the people who are among us all the time. There has to be some specifics because there are many disagreements. And while we may have many disagreements between each other, it's my sincere belief that when God is confronted with a subject, he will have only one opinion on that matter. I don't believe God is going to be confused about anything. I don't think he's going to quote some scholar and say, well, you know, maybe this scholar has got it right. I'm not so sure. I personally believe that he has convictions and that he knows the truth, that he is the truth, and he is the definer of all truth. And so regardless of what I think or what you think, regardless of what anybody thinks, it is his opinion that I really want to know. I really want to know what my God believes, because that is what I want to believe. So people might get a little bit more specific and ask, well, do you believe in Jesus? Because that does define a different God in many people's minds. There are many people who will say, I believe in God, but I do not believe in Jesus. And there are people who say, I believe in God, but I do believe in Jesus. And so to believe in Jesus might be very helpful. But which Jesus? I mean, I know a dentist in Mexico goes by the name Jesus. He pronounces it Jesus. But what does that mean? I mean, what does that really mean to say that I believe in Jesus? If you were to compare the Mormon theology, the theology of the Church of Latter-day Saints, with the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they will both confess that they believe in Jesus, but they have different opinions, they have different beliefs concerning who Jesus is. Their ideas, their beliefs are completely different from one another. And as for myself, I don't agree with either one of them. And so there's a third opinion for you. And I'm confident that if we had a hundred people in the same room, all together, all claiming that they believe in Jesus, you would find more than three opinions concerning who Jesus really is and what it means to believe in Jesus. Even if you were to ask people, would you agree with this statement or would you agree with that description, people would say, no, I don't. And so we need more. We need more to go on than just that. Now, you personally may have no interest in this. And if you don't, then that tells me that you're okay with not knowing who the real Jesus is. That's what it tells me. That's what I hear. When I hear people saying, ah, it's no big deal, whatever, that tells me that this is an individual who doesn't care. But I want you to know that I care, and I think you should care. Because if there is a difference... And what you believe is not true, then there can be some very serious consequences to that. What kinds of consequences? Well, the Lord Jesus said that if you will abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, if you don't know the truth, you're definitely not going to be free. You are going to be in bondage. And if you continue to believe things that are not true or if you begin to embrace more things in your life that are not true, then you will not only stay in your bondage, but you will experience an increase in bondage in your life. And by the time you discover that you're in bondage, just think about how much time 
you will have wasted in that process. So there are consequences. Even though you may want to live in a form of denial, you may want to live in some kind of fantasy or fairy tale or something. This is not a fairy tale, folks. This is real. I really believe that this is real. I know that this is real. And so I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you right now that this is real. And you had better get in touch with this because if you don't, there will be consequences, severe consequences. So what more can we do? Well, how about asking another question like, what is the gospel? My friend, I have been all over the world. I have had many different forms of employment that have taken me throughout the world to do all kinds of different things. And whenever I would go anywhere, I would always try to find some believers somewhere so that I could experience some fellowship with other believers so that I can connect a little bit with the body of Christ throughout the world. And when I do, I try to make an effort to ask this one question. How would you describe the gospel? Now, I'm going to ask you that question right now. How would you describe the gospel? I mean, how would you really describe it? If somebody was to ask you, what is the gospel? What would your answer be? Now, I am confident that many of you would be able to give an answer. But just because you're able to give an answer doesn't mean it's a good answer. I have had this question answered many times, and I have had many creative answers that people have given to me. Some of them have been pretty good. Many of them, I would say most of them, were totally wrong. Things like, well, the gospel, the way that I would describe the gospel, well, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, folks, that is totally wrong. The gospel is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is what we call the gospels, and the gospel was proclaimed by the Lord Jesus, and this was documented in the gospels, but that's not an answer. But you know, it's a very popular answer, and so I have to mention that. Now, maybe you wouldn't answer that kind of a question that way, but if you would answer the question that way, I want you to listen very carefully because there is a much better answer, and I really want you to consider it. Now, I do have some deep convictions concerning what the gospel really is, and so you have to get in touch with that. You need to understand that I'm very biased that I do have a belief concerning what the gospel is. And right now I'm teaching through the book of Romans, verse by verse, and I'm in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And in these two verses, I believe there is a very good summary of the gospel. And in this program, I'm going to focus on these two verses. But I want you to know that I do have a belief. I do have a position concerning what the gospel is. And so when I say that someone else's answer is wrong, I am saying that by comparing their answer with my answer. Now, there is a popular answer that people give that I believe is partially correct. It's not fully correct. And the problem with it being partially correct and not fully correct is that it can be deceptive. That's the problem, and why I don't believe a partial answer is adequate. The most common partial answer that I have received, that I personally have heard, is that the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die if you will believe that your sins are forgiven. That's the most common answer that I have received that I believe is a partially correct answer. 
Like I said, I've received many different answers, but this one is probably the best when it comes to answers that are partially correct. And so I'm going to mention that because I believe that those who are listening to this program right now, the majority of them would say this. The majority of those of you who are listening would probably answer the question that way. And so I will say that I believe that this is a pretty good answer. And depending on the other things that you believe, it can be very deceptive. It can lead to false beliefs or depending upon other things you believe, it may lead in the correct direction. And so I want to be a little bit more specific in this program. And I believe that Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 give us the specifics that we really need. So to say that Jesus died for our sins so we can go to heaven, yes, I believe that that is true. I really do. I believe that if you expect to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you had better find some way to deal with your sin. You had better find some way to deal with it. Now, I personally believe, I really believe, that the only way that your sin will ever be forgiven is if you will recognize and trust that you have already been forgiven. Now, I realize that that's an awkward way of saying it because technically, the Lord Jesus already died for your sins and you have already been forgiven. But that's difficult for people to hear when I say it that way, because for the most part, people believe that forgiveness is salvation. So I need to say that in order to make that transition and explain to you that I do not believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven is the complete gospel. I believe it's partially correct. You see, what I believe is that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. It is written, he died for the sins of the world. And for ours also, those of us who believe. He died for the sins of humanity. He didn't ask anybody if they wanted him to die for their sins. He just did it. He did it on our behalf. I believe that everyone has been forgiven, and yet people don't know that they have been forgiven. And so if you do not know that you have been forgiven, then I can speak to you in the context of, well, you better find out how you can get forgiven. But the truth is, is that you already have been, you just don't know it. Now, here's the question. If you have already been forgiven, if everyone has been forgiven, then why would I say that the whole world is not saved? Why would I say that we still need to be saved? Well, the reason why I will say that is because I do not believe that forgiveness is salvation. I do not believe that. There are many people who do, but I do not. I believe that forgiveness is what makes salvation possible but that forgiveness in and of itself is not salvation. And this is why I believe that. The reason why I believe that is because I believe that the scriptures say very clearly that when Adam and Eve violated the law of God, they died spiritually, and the breath of life that was breathed within them to make them a living being was withdrawn at the moment in the day that they ate from the wrong tree, and so they died spiritually in that day. That's what I believe. I have studied the first three chapters in Genesis in Hebrew very carefully for many years, and I am fully convinced in my mind that they experienced a spiritual death, that when God created them, he created them in such a way that his Holy Spirit dwelled within them. And when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, his Holy Spirit was withdrawn from them. And I believe that that is the real problem between man and God. 
I do believe that sin is a serious problem. I do believe that, and it needs to be resolved. But I also believe that the spiritual death of humanity has to be resolved. And so when I speak about the good news, I prefer to first talk about the bad news. The bad news was that we sinned and died. Sin has to be resolved, and the death issue has to be resolved. To me, that's the bad news. To me, that describes the nature of the problem. And so if you understand the nature of the problem, if that is the true nature of the problem, which I believe it is, so if you don't believe that, you have to assume that that's the case in order to understand what I'm going to say next. But I believe that that is the nature of the problem. And so if that is the problem, then the good news is going to have to be the solution to this problem. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to be as good as it really needs to be. The good news, the gospel to me, is the truth, is the good news that Jesus died for the sins of the world so that he could be raised from the dead. He could then send to us the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. And he is offering that to the world as a free gift. The free gift of the Holy Spirit And this can also be described as the free gift of the life of God that had been lost in Adam, the life that Adam once had. It is the free gift of life, but the gift itself is represented or personified as the Holy Spirit. And so when an individual acknowledges that they have no hope outside of the mercy of God, no hope whatsoever, then they can be the recipients of the forgiveness that he truly has already given to us. Then they can be the recipients in the sense that they can acknowledge the forgiveness that they already have. But at this point, they are nothing more than a forgiven dead person. And that is not salvation. Salvation is what can happen next. And that is when an individual acknowledges that they are dead to God, that God is alive and they are not. And that's one of the reasons why they don't know who he is. It's not because there's something wrong with him or because God is dead. It's because we are dead. We were born into this world spiritually dead, being born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. When a person acknowledges that they are spiritually dead and they recognize and understand the free gift of the Holy Spirit that is being offered to them, then they can prayerfully receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that through our acknowledgement, our confession, and through our request, through our prayer, that he will respond and honor that and he will resurrect you from among the dead. Now, I don't believe that any manifestation is necessary or should even be expected because as the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, the wind comes and goes. You do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it goes. So it is also with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to know how he comes upon you or if he does necessarily. In this case, if you recognize that this is the good news, then you are going to have to trust that what he has said is true. And I believe that in time, he will eventually reveal to you in a personal, intimate way that this is the truth. And when he does then his testimony will be much greater than anyone else's. It will be much greater than mine. I can only tell you about it, but to experience it, that is between you and your God. I can only be a witness. I can only testify. 
So the bad news, again, is sin and death. And the good news is forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of life to resurrect those who are dead. Now, if this is the truth, if you have been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, what happens the next time you sin? What will happen? This is a very important question. Because Adam died just because he didn't believe God and he ate from the wrong tree. That was it. He just disbelieved God. He did not believe God. He ate from the wrong tree. And the fall of humanity for generations has been the result of that. So how about you? What kinds of sins do you have in your life that you would like to compare with not believing God and eating from the wrong tree? I suspect that you probably have some sins in your life that you would describe as being a little bit more severe than just eating from the wrong tree. So what happens when you commit those? And you know you will. We know that we still struggle with indwelling sin. And so if we sin again, then shouldn't the Holy Spirit depart from within us? According to the law of sin and death, you sin, you die. Shouldn't we expect that to be the case? Of course we should expect that to be the case. But the reason why the Holy Spirit will not depart from within you, there is a reason. The reason why you will never die again is because of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has already provided to you because of what he did on the cross for the entire world. So that is why I say that forgiveness is not salvation, but it makes salvation possible because there is no sin that has been left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you ever again. And so the life that you now have is by definition an eternal life, an everlasting life by definition, because if you receive the Holy Spirit and you are resurrected, there is no sin that you can commit that will kill you so that you will die. You will always be alive. You have been resurrected to the living God. And you can experience this life right now, today, and it will carry you on into eternity even after you physically die. That is eternal life. Eternal life is now and in the future. And yes, I realize that we struggle with sin here and now. But folks, he said that he would complete the work that he began. If he said that he's going to complete the work, then that means he hasn't completed it yet. That means there's still more to do. So don't be surprised if he hasn't completed the work yet. He said he would, and the day will come when that completion will be realized. You will see it. You will experience it. One day. Look forward to that. And between now and then, you must trust him. You must trust him. And watch what he is going to do in your life in the midst of your sinfulness, in the midst of the struggles that you have. Now, I want to encourage you to listen to the programs I did on the subject of forgiveness, because this description of forgiveness always results in a number of very important questions. People ask me all kinds of questions after I give this description of forgiveness. And so I did a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness. It is available for free in my radio archive. Please listen to that series and listen to it from start to finish because I address this subject in more detail and I deal with the most common questions that people ask. And they are good questions and they are important questions and they deserve answers. And I have given answers in those other programs. But in this program, 
I want to tell you about Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Do you hear that? Much more, having now been justified. You have already been justified by his blood. Much more, though, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In addition to being justified, you have the opportunity to be saved. In verse 10, the next verse, he says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's the life that I am telling you about. You are justified by his blood. He reconciled you to himself by his death. He reconciled the entire world to him by his death. But the only way that a person can be saved is if they are resurrected by the indwelling presence of the life of God, the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You are not saved by the death of Christ. You are saved by the life of Christ. Not the life of Christ that was described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the life of Christ, the resurrected Christ, the one who was resurrected from the dead. That life was revealed, manifested, and given to us as a result of his resurrection. And so just as sin entered into the world through one man, so also through another man sin was resolved. And this other man was the living God who manifested in the flesh to dwell among us so that he could live, so that he could die, so that he could raise from the dead, so he could send to us, send to humanity, the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. And anyone who is willing to receive the Holy Spirit as a free gift, it is being offered to everyone freely. Anyone who would be willing to receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit will be resurrected by his indwelling presence. The presence of the Spirit of God, also known as the life of God, will resurrect you from among the dead, and this life will never depart from within you because all sin was forgiven. Pray and ask the Lord if what I have said about the gospel is true. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that can make-